So I have to say that, yeah, there are still some challenges here, but at the same time, the country is improving and is improving fast. And a lot of people from abroad with uh, talent, skills and motivation are coming here to help improve the country. Welcome to Bitcoin Basics with your hosts, Faris and Gordon. Visit bitcoinbasics.help if you need help buying and securing your Bitcoin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Basics podcast. Today is the 31st of August, 2022. The price of Bitcoin is $19,962. Satoshi's per dollars is $5,010. And the block height is 751,932. I'm here with my co-host, Gordon. Gordon, how are you doing? Good, thanks, mate. Uh, we just interviewed Francesco, Frank, Money Delix, whatever he goes by. Um, and that was really interesting. It's, it's good to get different perspectives. And this is a resource-intensive show, so I'll put all the links to his stuff and all the stuff that we mentioned in the show notes. And uh, for those who have listened to previous episodes, we've interviewed uh, Jaime Garcia and Nick and Jamie, Nicky and James. And yeah, I mean, obviously there's similarities, but there's difference as well. And it's good to get different perspectives from expats moving to El Salvador, El Salvadorians themselves and everything in between. And um, there's some common threads, isn't there, Faris? Uh, Bitcoin can certainly solve a lot of problems. Can't solve everything, but um especially in terms of money and corruption, as myself and people like you as well have traveled a lot, um, a lot of the problems come down to money and access to money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully, um, yeah, well, not hopefully, but um, what what is it saying? Um, a rising tide lifts all boats. Hopefully that's going to happen in El Salvador in terms of lifting the people out of poverty. Yeah, so that was uh- – Good take to get from someone who's in the country with a fresh perspective. And um, yeah, it just feels like we're hearing a lot about El Salvador and we've made quite a few connections in and we're long overdue to visit the place ourselves. Um, yeah, very, very interesting. And um, Francesco runs his own YouTube channel. So I highly recommend you check it out. Um, again, guys, uh, here is our series, our interview with Francesco. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Was that the beginning, Ferris? Oh, that's what I presume. But hey, we can start over. <laughs> All right. All right, cool. Let, let's take two. Okay, let's start over, yeah. So, Francesco, it seems like uh, we are interviewing a lot of people in El Salvador at the moment. I'm kind of getting very jealous that I'm not there. Uh, just for our viewers who are unfamiliar with your channel and your work, just tell us about yourself and how you ended up in El Salvador. Yeah, so long story short, a while ago, a few months ago, about four months ago, I learned about El Salvador and what Bukele was doing in El Salvador with Bitcoin. So I got very interested and my wife and I decided to go and take a look at El Salvador. Uh, and we were not considering of moving there at the point. We just wanted to check it out. And so what happened is that we were living in Florida at the moment. So it was like a two and a half hours flight. So we moved, we booked a flight and we went and visited El Salvador. And we wanted to see if the country was uh, safe 
And because, you know, there's a lot of uh, rumors or there's this narrative about El Salvador that is not a safe country and that belongs to the past at this point. So after two or three days, we felt safe in El Salvador. And actually, uh, we realized that the cost of living that was dramatically lower than Florida make uh, <clears throat> made um, El Salvador look very appealing. And we decided to move there. So that that is the the process in a very few words. And when we went back in Florida, we had our lease ending up in two months, but we realized that there was nothing left for us in Florida. So we got rid of everything. We sold everything that we could and donate most of our things. We booked a flight and came back like not even a month later, maybe two, three weeks later top, we were back in El Salvador. And that this time to to move here, to, to live in, in El Salvador. Um, thanks for, thanks for joining us, by the way, we really appreciate that. And it it seems like a familiar story. We're just hearing uh, so many people move to El Salvador from mostly from the U S but from other countries. And, uh, for our listeners, we have interviewed Nikki and James, which I think you have also been on their show as well. Jaime Garcia and, and some other people as well. So I'm not going to reiterate our questions and content, but, um, before we get into a lot, um, how long have you been there and, and perhaps, um, what are some of the good things and maybe the not so good things about living in El Salvador? So first of all, uh, Nikki and James says hi. I talked to them this morning and actually we ended up being neighbors. Oh, so wow. We, we, okay. yeah, <laughs> I, I can wave at their house from my window, from my house. So, <laughs> And it was just coincidental. It wasn't planned. I didn't know that they were right. living in this community. We found the house here that we met. Oh, you guys live here? Yeah, we are moving here. So it was uh, awesome. <laughs> Yeah, very random. And so what I like about El Salvador, and this is something that, of course, I talk about uh, a lot uh, in my channel, is, first of all, the cost of living here is a lot lower than where I was in Florida. So my uh, U.S. income here goes a lot farther than it used to go in Florida. And so that allows me to have a a much uh, nicer lifestyle. And the other reason that that brought me here to El Salvador are, of course, Bitcoin and the feeling that is in the country of uh, entrepreneurship. This is a country that is going to be rebuilt and there is a lot of excitement around and also a lot of opportunities. Now, the not so good things about El Salvador is that because it's a country that is about to be built... Uh, the infrastructure is still a little bit obsolete, but actually uh, the newer roads are very nice and they're building roads of very good quality and faster every day. So it's getting more and more uh, interconnected, the whole country. And yeah, the other things that are not so nice here is, uh, uh, you know, you see still uh, like garbage on 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 the streets or uh, on the streams. Uh, of water you see like a lot of stray animals around here and coming from florida where i was was a nice area it's very different so these are things to get used to another thing to get used to might be uh like security guards that are pretty much everywhere but at this point i think it's more uh because they're used to them they're actually useful that's the feeling that i have because i've been in the the city center also we felt safe and I talked to a lot of locals and they also say, oh, now we can go 
out at night in these areas that was not possible in the past would have been very uh, reckless, so to speak. And probably my number one complaint with El Salvador would be driving. Here, people drive uh, very dangerously. And uh, every day I'm on the street, I see car accidents. So it's a little bit stressful, but I guess it is how they people drive uh, pretty much everywhere in developing country. I think it's a cultural thing. For instance, I have been in Egypt and I also drive like very recklessly there. So, but at the same time, I, what I'm feeling now, what I'm believing now is that because of all the expats that are moving here and also all the work that Bukele is doing, improving not only the country as an infrastructure, but also the country under a point of view of uh, the culture. And so what is happening is that Bukele is trying to teaching, trying to teach uh, to the people to not to trash things on the street, not to throw the basura garbage everywhere. And they're also working to take care of all the stray animals. And Bukele's wife also is working a lot uh, for uh, teaching and empowering uh, women and maternity here. So she is placing these uh, uh, lactation room uh, everywhere in the country in offices or hotels. And so I have to say that, yeah, there are still some challenges here, but at the same time, the country is improving and is improving fast. And a lot of people from abroad with uh, talent, skills and motivation are coming here to help improve the country. So just on that, Francesco, I'm just wondering, um, with the people, I know tourism in, to our suburbs almost at pre-COVID levels. Um, so there's a lot of people coming in. Um, and obviously with developing the Bitcoin cities, the Bitcoin volcano bonds, he's doing a lot. How much of that wealth is actually helping the people that are already there? So my, it's not a concern, but is there, I've seen in the past where, for example, like, Americans involved in the Panama Canal, people working in places like Egypt, where I lived, you mentioned, you'll find people come there, they work there, they make a lot of money and they live in their own little communities. Their kids go to private schools. So they're kind of living in their own little bubble in this country. Is there a concern that could be happening here? You have this Bitcoin community that is doing very well for themselves because of the um, exchange rate. Um, and there, could there be some hostility from the locals who are seeing this new community come in okay so this is our all very good questions and let's start for first from the hostility so locals here are extremely welcoming of tourists and expats actually where you come here as a gringo you are actually treated better than locals so what happened is that I uh, sometimes I receive on my channel a negative comments saying, "Oh, uh, the, the neo-colonialists are coming, or the real estate predators, all these wars." Okay, the problem is that, in my opinion, people don't understand that what is happening here, the prosperity that will come to the country, will benefit everybody. For instance, people complaining because the real estate prices are going up, and sure, that is true, and. The question is, are they going up uh, because of inflation only, because of the dollars that has been printed <laughs> uh, endlessly, or because there is actually more demands for 
goods and services in this country, in this case, real estate. And I, in my opinion, it's a combination of both. And what happened is when expats come here, when tourists come here, they bring money. And for instance, people like me, once we move here, we hire people. So you might have uh, people that before uh, having all the aspects here, they were either unemployed or they were competing for a job, but the only uh, employer that they had were the local people uh, that were part of the rich class here. So what happened? Because there were not a lot of demand and a lot of uh, poor people, sadly, uh, they could, uh, the employer have more, uh, how do you say, negotiation power. And so these people used to get paid very little. Now, what happened? Because there's going to be more and more and more people coming here to leave, and there's going to be need to hire babysitters, uh, housekeepers, uh, drivers, and all these kind of jobs that don't require a, a, a specialization of some kind because these people cannot afford a school sometime. What happened is that these people are able to demand higher wages and the people that will be able to provide better services, they will be able to uh, go to different employer, not only the Salvadorian rich guy, they will, they're going to be able to go to the American gringo, to the Canadian guy, to the guys from New Zealand and see who's going to pay them the best for their services. So uh, it's true that it's going to be easier for people that understand already the the game of money, how the game is played to make more money here. But at the same time, what happened is that everybody's going to be lift because all this money that comes in is going to be invested here. And people that need jobs here will find these jobs and these opportunities. At the same time, Bukele, very smart, what he's doing is uh, the government is donating to kids in uh, middle school and high school uh, tablets and laptops. So Bukele understand that throughout this process of uh, the country growing, there's going to be talent that is also made in the country. So now these kids can study and learn the same things that American kids can learn, for instance, on the internet. And so I don't really uh, see the, I don't, so I understand why the people are concerned. Oh, rich people are going to be more rich and poor people are going to be more poor. No, what I think is going to happen here, also thanks to Bitcoin, and then I'll explain you why after, is that sure, rich people are going to get richer, but also here, there's going to be developed a middle class. Because if you go in South America or pretty much all developing country around the world, there is the problem of classism. And what happened is that there is a rich class and there is a poor class. There's no middle class. Okay. So how do you solve this problem? First, you bring prosperity for all. And second, you reduce the corruption in the government. You know, the people that are the closest to power and to the money printer, (laughs) We'll have favors and we'll get to the money first. And people at the bottom won't have a chance to go up in the society, okay? But here, because of Bitcoin, what happened is that at some point, it's going to be hard to uh, launder money or to uh, pay under the table That because that's what happened here. Because Bitcoin is going to let the government track these big transactions that are made by uh, entities like the electric company, uh, you know, the electricity company, the the contractors that is offering this service to the government, you know. And in the past, what happened is that everything was done under the table. 
someone gets the money, the service doesn't get delivered, nobody goes to jail, okay? But this is going to get harder and harder. And also Bitcoin uh, is helping Bukele reduce corruption. So this is kind of what I'm seeing happening because when I'm here and I talk to people, you know who complains about Bukele? You know who are the people in the country that are not happy about Bukele? Try to take a guess. The wealthy um, industrialists would be my guess. Say it again. The industrialists, the wealthy industrialists. So who, uh, yeah, exactly. Rich people here don't like Bukele. You know why? Because they were rich. They were already well off. They didn't have problem with criminality. You know, they have security guards. <laughs> they didn't have a problem getting things done, you know. And also they always would get uh, favors from past governments. Hmm. But now... Uh, that is over for them. So poor people here are very happy and positive about Bukele. It's the rich people that realize that the game is over and their little secret paradise. Now it's being exposed to everybody in the world. So what happened when more people with money and investment come here is that they're going to have to share the pie with more people. And also they won't be able to keep the wages as low because there's going to be more competition for uh, employer employees. So if I'm understanding this right, what you're saying is there was a monopoly on labor in that the wealthy basically um, could afford to pay for services, like what you were describing, just everyday blue collar services, very, very cheaply. Um, and because there weren't that many wealthy, that there simply wasn't that many opportunities, so the poor could take whatever they could. But now with more people coming in, they're finding, okay, there's more opportunities. Is that right? Yeah. And we don't even have to think about a a monopolistic kind of situation. We can just think about a society that is not prosperous, where there is very limited uh, resources or very limited capital. So so there's not much uh, competition. So what happens is that when we bring capital and investment to the society, there's not... 10 employers, uh, 10 empl- employers anymore. Now there's going to be hundreds of employers. And these employers will fight for the best talents and they will pay more, which is kind of what happened in Silicon Valley, for example. You know, you are a good coder and Apple, Google, and Microsoft and uh, all this company are going to just uh, bid and overbid your salary to get you to work with them. The same thing on a different level will happen here in El Salvador. It's happening already. And a lot of locals are moving on the beach areas because they know that there are uh, more expats or tourists and so that they can charge higher price or different price. So it's happening already. So with with the non-skilled labor, are they being paid in Bitcoin? Are they interested in being paid in Satoshis at all? Uh, That's a good question. So uh, I pay people that work for me, for instance, I pay them in dollars, but I pay them in Bitcoin and then on their Chivo wallet app, they can convert this Bitcoin in dollars quickly. And are they interested at all in saving for the long term? I mean, are they actually able to save for long term? Or is so, it they living day to day? So uh, that's a good question. What is happening now is that poor people still don't have the possibility of saving. Like people here, they live... Uh, 
day by day or month by month, paycheck to paycheck, okay? And you could argue that the same thing happened in the United States with people that make $100,000 a year living paycheck to paycheck and not saving money. But it's it's a little different here because uh, people concerned might be uh, eating or putting food on the table for their kids or having a roof uh, on their heads. So are poor people able to save here? Uh, not yet, I don't think so. Now, are there some poor people that are learning what is happening and they're going to be able to take them out, uh, out of poverty? Uh, I think so. And for instance, sometime uh, I am in El Salvador and I talk to people, to young people, and they ask me, okay, how do I progress? No, meaning uh, what do I do to get uh, to make more money or to a different place in, uh, in my life? And I try to tell them what is happening in El Salvador and what to do. And usually it's things like uh, learn coding, you know, it's uh, the, the job of the present and of the future, learn Bitcoin, you know, Educa- Bitcoin education is going to be fundamental or all these uh, skills related to the digital and financial revolution that is happening in El Salvador are going to be extremely, um, is, they're going to be uh, rewarded extremely well. So that's what I try to tell young people. Now, of course, probably there's always going to be poor people. Like you're not going to solve the problem overnight and it's going to take time. But for instance, the analogy that to me makes more sense is the one with uh, Singapore. Okay. So if you go and on Google and look for uh, photos of Singapore uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago, there was pretty much nothing. It's, it's pretty interesting. If you check a photo of Singapore now, you see all the skyscrapers and the skyline. Now, if you check uh, average um, wage 40 years ago in Singapore, you see one number. If you check the average wage today in Singapore, it's a much higher number. So what happened is that if you bring prosperity to the old society, the old society is going to be left up. Of course, it's going to take time and it's not going to be a process that uh, you snap your fingers and you solve a problem that is so large uh, in scale. Yeah, I, I, we appreciate your honesty because uh, in the Bitcoin community, we're all um, you know rainbows and unicorns and Bitcoin's going to fix this. It's going to fix everything tomorrow. Um, and, and we all know, we, we've all traveled and for those, I I don't like the word developing country, but for the for the sake of it, those of us who are troubled, we've seen the corruption. You know, we've seen the local police, and and I've lived in mm-hmm. Southeast Asia for fifteen years, and I've I've definitely seen it. And I think your point before was very interesting in that um, the real difference is Bitcoin, because I mean, I've I've had many problems with corruption, and also tourists and and expats coming into an area, and the local people don't get rich. You know, the local people don't sort of rising tide doesn't lift all boats. Um, the local governor, the local police, you have policemen on a salary of $8,000 US and they're driving BMWs. And you're like, wow, they must be really good at saving and investing. Yeah. Um, so as you said, you know, Bitcoin gives us that power, but everyone, um, you know, sort of recently uh, is talking about CBDCs. Do you think um, El Salvador is really going to get that head start and sort of, um, be able to avoid CBDCs, or do you think that's sort of inevitable? What do you think about that whole that whole thing? <laughs> the, the, that's a very interesting question. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> CBDC—it's mm, very scary terms if you think about it. So, what I think is going to happen in El Salvador is that, and that's one of the reasons why I'm here. 
is that we need to educate the people as much and as fast as possible about what Bitcoin is. And I'm not talking at this point, at this stage, we are teaching people how to use Bitcoin to transact on the Lightning Network. What I'm talking about is that when you start teaching people here why Bitcoin is important, and I have to say that a lot of people here are getting it. So when I talk to people about Bitcoin, what happened is that uh, because most people have lived the civil war like you know, 20 or 30, 40 years ago, something like that, and they understand the problem with corruption, they understand the problem with how money can flow in, in politics and uh, among friends of politicians, you know, on, on the elite, so to speak. People here appreciate Bitcoin a lot more than most people, for instance, in um, in the United States. And on top of that, in the United States, for instance, or all modern countries, they are set up pretty well with banking system and the credit card system. But here it's different. Here, most people uh, don't have a bank. They are unbanked. It's hard to open a bank account. So when you teach people about Bitcoin here, they, they get it pretty fast. Makes sense to them. Now, CBDC, in my opinion, if we manage to teach the country as fast as possible, CBDC won't become a problem here. Also, honestly, I mean, let's think about Bukele uh, psychology in adopting Bitcoin here. Uh, Why Bukele would do something so risky, meaning, of course, Bitcoin takes power away from the global elite, from the IMF, from the WEF. So if Bukele was positive about these uh, agendas, so to speak, he would have probably not implemented Bitcoin, unless there is some other ulterior plan that I cannot even conceive at this point. But it looks to me like uh, Bukele is not very positive about CBDC is not very positive about top-down control. And actually what he's doing is trying to reduce bureaucracy and free up the markets here with all the new legislations that the Congress here is working on. So is CBDC going to be a problem in El Salvador? Um, I don't think so. Honestly, I'm more worried about uh, uh, Europe. (laughs) I'm from Europe, by the way. I'm from Italy. And I think uh, I think Europe is done. Is is the Vatican Bank going to introduce their own CBDC? So actually, uh, I don't know if you uh, if you saw a tweet that I made a few days ago. And so the bank, the the Vatican, the, the the Pope uh, ordered all people in the Vatican to withdraw all cash and liquid assets from all European banks and bring them back to the uh, Bank of the Vatican. Wow. So pretty interesting. So a couple of, uh, three weeks ago, I was telling all my people in Italy and in Europe, was telling me, hey guys, uh, you want to be careful with keeping cash in the bank accounts right now in Europe. Europe is about to implode. So I would be careful with draw cash. And of course, people don't get it. People, if they're not in the Bitcoin world like me or in the financial world 24-7, they don't understand what you're talking about. I think you're crazy. But one of those people that uh, thought that I was an alarmist and I was a little crazy saying that to all my people in Europe, you know, and, uh, I went on WhatsApp, everybody from Italy, and copy and paste, say, 
take out your money from the bank. He actually sent me the link for this article where the, the Vatican is actually instructing to uh, bring back all the liquidity in the um, IOR, it's called the Bank of the Vatican. So that's what's happening in Europe. Uh, yeah, and now, this is the astounding thing. Like th- this has happened before. Um, like everyone goes, oh no, it's Argentina that will default on their debt, or it's Cyprus or Lebanon where you can't get your money. No, well now it's in China, which you know is a G seven power. It's people just think, oh, it's over there. It's not my problem. Well, when it is your problem, it's too late to do something about it. Yep. Yeah, that is the problem. And if you start following the energy prices in Europe, it's just crazy what's happening there. I mean, I don't see, you know, so the governments are very good only at doing one thing, which is uh, kicking the can down the road. (laughs) But I think Europe is at a point that uh, they can't do anything. It's just system is just going to implode. They're not going to be able to start uh, uh, 50 nuclear reactors uh, in the span of few months. So I don't know what's going to happen in Europe, but I see the situation pretty dramatic there. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm not making prediction. I'm just playing it safe. You know, with the information that we have in front of us, uh, I see the situation very, very dramatic for Europe. And to be honest, it's not like the United States is much better than Europe right now. The difference is that, uh, have you guys heard of the, uh, this economist talks about the milkshake, uh, dollar milkshake theory. Have you ever heard of them? Brent Johnson. Yeah. Brent Johnson. Yeah. Capital. Yeah. And, and so when I heard that thing, it, it made a lot of sense to me, you know, because it's true. Like, uh, you know, when you go and vote for a politicians and you don't like any of the politicians, you just pick the less worst. Yeah. We have the same situation with currencies. <laughs> now the dollars is just the last worst of all the currencies, you know, but it's not a good currency just because it gets based. Uh, uh, it's control essentially. They can freeze your bank account anytime if you say something that the government doesn't like. So I don't know. Uh, I'm not very optimist for the next, uh, for the near future, to be honest. Uh, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the first turning book. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. was literally in my head as you're mentioning that. So, and yeah, it's a, and this is a thing about being right is you're often early. And people think, and the fourth turning came out in the mid nineties and we're going through the roaring nineties in America, around the world, with the exception of Japan, everyone was doing well, everyone was making money. And then like that, it turned. Um, So yeah, no one paid attention to that book when it came out. And then 15 years later, people were like, wow, how did you know? We just looked at history. Yep. It's crazy. When I was reading that book, it was uh, giving me goosebumps, you know, because wow, it is happening. How did they know 30 years ago? It is just insane. But as you said, um, I'm, I'm surprised, like, you know, when we talked about the 2008 global financial crisis, the governments can kick the can down the road probably further than what we think that they can because you're like, no, it's all over. You know, 2008, it's all over. Now we're in 2022. We're like, it's any day now, any day the US dollar is going to apply. It's like, no, they could probably kick this, you know, who knows how long. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the challenge with making predictions. You know, that's that's the problem. We're trying to predict what's going to happen in the world or in the markets. And to be quite honest, I'm also seeing a lot of uh, scary signs of a third world war happening. So I don't know if you guys are familiar, probably you are with the book from Ray Dalio, uh, The Changing World Order. Mm. And a while ago, I was listening an interview. <clears throat> Excuse me. An interview from Ray Dalio. 
and he was uh, saying that he sees the chances, he sees the chances of a third world war happening, uh, I think above 30% or something like that. And kind of like my, my people in Italy dismissed me when I told them about be careful with your uh, cash in the banks. I also dismissed Ray Dalio being a little bit of an alarmist, even res- respecting the man, understanding that he's super smart. But for some reason, it's always hard to, to see these uh, things coming. And when they happen, it's too late. And recently, you know, I, I, I'm on Twitter, okay? And I see all these things in the Twitter world. And I'm seeing like, uh, was, I don't remember the country, was uh, enriching uh, uranium. Uh, was it Iran or Iraq? One of this country. I'm not familiar with politics, uh, just to understand. I just see the what is happening and uh, Iran, I think, with Iran. Was Iran okay? Mm-hmm. And then there are other skirmish now from Greece and Turkish, and all these little things that are happening in the world are building up and building up. And if you study history, it's kind of the same thing that happened uh, before Hitler went to Hitler went to power. So I don't know and. And honestly, I don't talk about that, actually, but I moved to El Salvador also for that reason, because I don't know if a third world war happens, where do I want to be? As south as possible from Northern Hemisphere. And I don't even know if El Salvador is south of the Northern Hemisphere enough, because actually I'm still in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. I don't know. You need to get south of Ecuador, I think. Right. <laughs> this is something I find fascinating, Francesco. Is um, so when Bitcoin started, you know, first came out 2010, 11, and for the first few three to four years, the people fascinated with Bitcoin were fascinated with the technology, the blockchain, how and crypto cryptography. So it attracted coders, computer engineers, all those people were fascinated with it. Now, when we're talking about Bitcoin, we are talking about global politics. We're talking about health and diet. Why and how do you think that is? Wow, that is a very uh, interesting uh, question that you ask. And just to be clear with audience, I'm not an expert on any of these matters. Uh, I am just an observer of what happens. I read a lot and then I try to come with conclusions and i try to keep my biases and emotion as little as possible okay and so why bitcoin brings people to learn about politics and all this topic that are not related to the technology of bitcoin so in my opinion this is what happens so uh, because our mind likes and needs to simplify things to make sense of it and to uh, not to consume too much uh, calories to keep the processor working on a level that allows people to continue their normal lives. So what we do as humans is that we like to compartmentalize things to only things uh, think about things in their little environment or industry or field. But in my opinion, uh, everything is interconnected. And especially because of our uh, society, is uh, technologically advanced more than 2,000 years ago. Uh, Everything that you do in the United States, in El Salvador, in China, has an impact pretty much everywhere in the world, and that can be in different orders of magnitude, of course. But now that we are getting uh, closer and closer to the fourth turning, so to speak, we are seeing how all these uh, 
pieces of the puzzle are coming together. And when you get into Bitcoin and you start learning uh, deeply, what is the problem that Bitcoin solves and how uh, not having solved this problem for so long has created all this problem in society, then of course you go and you learn about macroeconomics, uh, you learn about politics, even politics in other countries. You know, I, mean, I hated politics uh, forever. <laughs> you know, and now I have to follow it because I need to understand what is going on in the world. Uh, it's my family safe. You know, what should I do uh, with my mother? You know, and so I think that that that's what happened. And I think that uh, Bitcoin is a wonderful tool to learn all these uh, aspects of society, all these aspects of our global world. Because Bitcoin brings us to things about how to solve these uh, fundamental fundamental problem in a complex society, which is the one of exchanging information and do it in a way that is not uh, corruptible. So that's just my my quick uh, opinion on on Bitcoin. Okay, I'm not Michael Saylor or any of these uh, people that I learn from, but from my uh, little experience in Bitcoin and what I've seen happening in the world. Uh, what happened is that when two people communicate and two people don't understand each other, either because they speak two different languages or even because uh, husband and wife uh, are angry for random reasons, and then they start talking and they start thinking, oh, it's her fault, and the wife thinks, oh, it's his fault. The problem is communication. It's an exchange of information that is not done properly, uh, is not done correctly. In this case, gets corrupted from emotion. And then uh, fight starts, fight that didn't have any need to happen. So Bitcoin helps us uh, uh, convey information in a way that, not, that is not corruptible by uh, human emotions, by people, by biases, by greed, by fear, by anxiety. Okay. And so what happened is that we are not there yet, but in my utopistic dream, once uh, we are on a Bitcoin standard. A lot of people, a lot of problems are going to be solved. And just to give a, an example, uh, an easy example to bring it back to uh, the information that actually helps, uh, the information that Bitcoin helps exchange in this case is the one of uh, transferring uh, value. Okay, when you have a central entity, you not know, like the the Fed, the American Central Bank, printing money when they feel like, okay, when they need to win votes or when they need to pay their friends and family, what happened is that something so important that is value, that is exchanged in society, uh, gets, uh, gets corrupted. So these effects trickle down in all the people down uh, um, on the streets. And nobody knows understanding Nobody understands anymore what is the real value of things. And imagine what kind of confusions that can create in a complex society. So everybody is blaming a problem on everybody else. Nobody is taking responsibility for anything anymore. You know, And I think that's one of the problems that Bitcoin fixes this. And that's kind of my hope of Bitcoin fixing this as soon as possible, because I don't know, like the signs of a third world war coming is they're getting more and more consistent. So, but I don't know. 
So what was your Bitcoin origin story? How did you get into Bitcoin to begin with? Um, okay. <laughs> so, you know, uh, that's a very good question. I have a talk about that. So how did I get into Bitcoin? So in my early 20s, I used to play poker to to make money to support myself. Okay. And so what happened is that a while ago, I was in the United States and I didn't know how to support myself. And I thought about, okay, maybe I need to get back and uh, play poker online. But what happened is that uh, online poker became illegal in the United States uh, for many reasons a while ago. So there was this website that would allow me to play poker and to withdraw money in Bitcoin. <laughs> and so that's how I started learning uh, about Bitcoin. And at the beginning, it was just, okay, I got a Bitcoin, I exchange it for dollars, I'm done. I didn't care about it. So that's actually how I got into Bitcoin. And then uh, the other thing that, that happened for me was in uh, 2021, I started investing in uh, cryptocurrencies, okay? Like everybody that doesn't know what it's doing goes online, finds uh, 10,000 gurus selling you every sort of uh, uh, coin that is going to 1,000x in the next two months. I was one of these people. And what happened for me is uh, that in 2021, my wife and I were living in, in Florida, and we were in a nice bubble in Florida because despite all the madness around the world, Florida had some common sense. And naively, we thought oh, probably the whole world is like this. You know, if you're sick, go and get uh, take care of yourself. Okay. We were wrong. We went to, we wanted to move to Europe at that time. So we moved to Portugal. And at the beginning, things seemed fine. And then lockdown and other madness happened in Portugal. So we escaped Portugal. We went to Italy where my family was and also Italy looked like it was reopening. And then at that point, the the talk in Europe about uh, uh, certain medicines being made mandatory to travel started to come up. And because my wife and I had recently learned that uh, what was happening in Europe, so here is the thing. We we were not these people that believe on... We were people that were would be generally uh, trustworthy of the government, okay? But we noticed that the opposite of what the experts or the officials were saying it was actually happening. And we noticed that actually the crazy people online were right. Oh, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened, hmm. Maybe maybe you should start listening to the crazy people and not to the expert and the, the authorities. Okay, so it was a very nice wake up call for us. And so the the rumor of this medicine starting to be mandatory for traveling in Europe started to come up, and we realized that you know what, if that can happen, definitely can happen in Europe. Europe is not the United States, so we flew back to Florida. At that point, together with all that, I was learning about uh, the government printing and printing and printing money and what are the problems with that. So I started uh, learning more and more about Bitcoin, but I was still in the phase, oh, I'm going to make money with the next uh, Cardano, with the next uh, uh, Solana, you know, these uh, random coins. And what happened is that later 
coming actually interesting enough that happened uh coming closer and closer to El Salvador I started uh coming across uh Michael Saylor content and I started to listening to the what is money show and the Saylor series I don't even remember how I got there but the thing is that what the guy said just made a lot of sense for me and I'm a person that if you say something wrong I'm going to be able most of the time to figure out where is the where is the logical fallacy okay but Michael Saylor makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and so I started studying and studying and studying more and understanding why uh, some people say that Bitcoin is different from other cryptocurrencies. What is the problem with other cryptocurrencies? What is the problem that Bitcoin solves? And, uh, and then after I moved to El Salvador, I started seeing this, uh, uh, bit, I started seeing Bitcoin used in society as a payment service, as a payment method. And, Meanwhile, the government keeps printing money and inflation is at 10% uh, in the UK and nobody worries about it. It's normal. <laughs> and it's at 8% in the United States. And, and that's how I got to study Bitcoin on a philosophical, political, uh, game theory, uh, what else, uh, economic level. While in the past, for me, was another way to, to make money. I'll buy Bitcoin because it's going to go up. Now I understand why Bitcoin is actually important. And I've studied Bitcoin for hundreds of hours. Like uh, I've listened to, I don't know how many hundreds of hours of podcasts about it. And I've been keeping to try to understand and to listen to the other side as well. But uh, I, I think people that don't understand yet is just a problem of either education or mm. interest. You know, like the the expression, like it's very hard to make a, uh, to make a man understand a problem if his income depends on not understanding that yeah. problem. Yeah, I think with Bitcoin, it really is the more I learn, the less I know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Every, every day I listen to something new and it just, wow, how did I not think about that? It's so obvious that a lot of these things, uh, uh, that after you listen to them by someone else, they're kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, yeah. it's endless, endlessly fascinating. Mm. So I know you mentioned this recently um, with South Celsius on your YouTube channel, but you're not involved in any other cryptos. You're converted to Bitcoin only exclusively. Uh, right now, yes. I sold all other cryptos for Bitcoin. Sorry, I didn't mean that from a financial point of view, but there's no other coins out there oh. that from an economics fundamental technological point of view that you're interested in. So, are you just okay. a Bitcoin only convert? My argument before being here in El Salvador was that uh, not everything can be built in, on Bitcoin and we need this other cryptocurrency. Then I came here, I learned about the Lightning Network and I realized that also that argument has been crushed. Everything that is built on any other cryptocurrency can and, in my opinion, will be built on Bitcoin. Because here is the thing. Uh, I don't know if you saw what happened uh, with just Solana, for an, an easy case, you know? They stopped the blockchain. Uh, for who? who? Who told them to do that? Who was benefiting from that? Good luck. Go and try and stop the, the Bitcoin blockchain, <laughs> the Bitcoin network. It's not going to happen. You know? So, and th- that is the problem with everything that is not Bitcoin is that uh, to me, what I say to people is that if you want to invest in this other, if you want to buy these other tokens, you are not buying money. You're not buying a commodity. You're not buying Bitcoin. 
you're buying a, a tech company. See it like an, a tech company. But what happened when the problem that the cryptocurrency solves gets solved on Bitcoin? What happened when then you can pick to choose the people from Solana to choose the people from Ethereum or to or choose not to trust anybody on the Bitcoin blockchain? You know, that, that's the point. I don't know if I was clear. Uh, let me try to explain it again. What I mean is when you buy a cryptocurrency that is not Bitcoin, you are not buying money. Like when you buy Bitcoin, you're not buying personal uh, property. You're not buying a commodity. You are buying like a stock. Like if you're buying Tesla or Apple or Microsoft, there is a central entity or authority that can make decisions for the whole uh, ecosystem. So if those decisions that are taken uh, don't align with your value or visions for the cryptocurrency, uh, then you are out of luck. But what happened is that in Bitcoin, there is nobody that can uh, single-endedly decide what is going to happen tomorrow on the on the blockchain or also on the value of uh, the Bitcoin itself. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the uh, with the men with guns problem. And if you ever heard of it, for instance, uh, now would be the the men with suitcases problem. So is there a person with a gun or with a suitcase or an entity or a group of people with guns or suitcases that can go to someone in the Bitcoin ecosystem and manipulate them to do something? Okay, maybe not, probably not. Is there, uh, uh, does this apply to the other cryptocurrencies? Like meaning, what do you think happens if someone uh, goes to Vitalik and and he points a gun to his head and tell him, hey, you know what? Today, Ethereum needs to do this. Today, Ethereum needs to do that. Vitalik is going to do that, <laughs> okay? Same with Cardano, same with Solana. I mean, with Solana has happened recently, you know? So that is the, the, the thing that I try to make people understand is that, yeah, you, you can buy other cryptocurrency, but one, you need to trust them, you know? Don't, I, I don't believe that they're decentralized and that there is a community, everybody decides. No, that's not really how it works, okay? Uh, Number two is what happened when the same technology can be solved on the Bitcoin blockchain? What happened to that token, no? Uh, If you think about it in the technology world, it's always uh, uh, one, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, Winner takes all situation, you know? Uh, with Tesla, it's easy to see. You know, who's going to solve the first one that's going to solve the, um, the the vision, the artificial intelligence vision problem? It's going to be Tesla, and there's not going to be competition. Uh, who? How many Apple there are? How many uh, Netflix there are? How many Amazon there are? Same thing. How many Bitcoin do you think there are going to be? And now you have this illusion that there's a lot of cryptocurrency because they all solve different problems, but once this problem can be solved on Bitcoin, what is going to happen to the cryptocurrency? What is going to happen to the value of that token? And by the way, I'm not an expert. That's just my way of processing what happens in Bitcoin and in cryptocurrency. So I don't know if you guys agree with that. or If, if I say anything that doesn't make sense, actually, let me know because I'm still learning. I'm, I'm just sharing with you the little things that I've learned. I'm, I'm not preaching. That, that's my way of processing the situation now. 
Oh, I agree with no. you, Charlie. Like, um, we've talked about decentralization a lot here. And it's one of the things when Gordon explained it to me, I'm like, yeah, this makes so much sense. And why Bitcoin is like a pyramid. It's just so strong. Sorry, Boris, go ahead. Oh, no, we, we, we could talk about it. We, we talk about this all the time on the show. And, and probably the best thing Satoshi did was actually to leave and so that, uh, you know, no one was sort of the founder or, what other Bitcoin, but we could talk about that forever. But I want to ask you, uh, what projects are you excited about in, in El Salvador from a grassroots perspective? So I am really excited about the educational part and I follow, uh, I have not been involved yet with the company, but they are, their account on Twitter is me primer Bitcoin, my first Bitcoin. And what they do is they go, they organize, um, uh, classes to teach people in El Salvador about Bitcoin. They also go to high school and teach kids about Bitcoin. So that is definitely something that excites me. But overall, uh, it's just exciting to see everything developing here and knowing that uh, people will learn Bitcoin. And it's just a matter of time. I don't see how that is not going to happen. And even because if you learn a little bit of you know, game theory and the incentives of Bitcoin, every time I teach here uh, someone about Bitcoin, it just clicks for them instantly. Like in the United States, it was very different. <laughs> people don't get it, okay? Not everybody, of course. A lot of people are getting it now. But it's a very different thing of teaching uh, Bitcoin in a Western country and teaching Bitcoin in a developing country or even in countries where they have 50% inflation, <laughs> you know? And to, to the kids or, or adults that you're teaching, do they get it straight away or is there a sort of ongoing process there? Um, I would say pretty, uh, pretty quickly. Like the other day I was explaining Bitcoin to a 25-year-old kid and he got it pretty quickly. And now he's asking me about DCA. You know, I told him, like, you want to dollar cost average, the best thing you can do. Because they also sometimes ask me, oh, well, what else uh, what else do you buy? What else do you invest in? I don't give financial advices. And I tell them, listen, you're in Bitcoin country. Like, just learn Bitcoin. Don't worry about anything else. <laughs> you know? So I have to say that they, they get it pretty fast. Even, even the older people here get it, you know? Especially when you make them understand when, they, when they're older, uh, they tell them, you remember during the Civil War, you know? Now imagine if the government cannot control your property. The government cannot control your money. You put it in your phone and they can do anything about it. And that is something that makes people click very fast here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can see that immediate use case for it. You know, you ask someone in Florida, person on the street, it's like, well, why do I need that? I've got PayPal, I've got US dollar, I've got banking services. But um, what what about custody? I mean, uh, people in El Salvador might understand Bitcoin and the need for it, but what about custody and, and self-custody? So I'm not an expert on uh, self-custody. I still have to set up my uh, Bitbox uh, cold storage wallet. I'm still learning all these things. And I've been focusing more on the, the philosophical aspects and all. Um, I've studied this part at this point, and now I'm getting into the technical aspects of it. Uh, but people yeah, ask me 
they get it, they ask me, oh, so what should I do? Should I keep a little bit for the payments and I should keep some for saving and put it on a cold storage wallet? And I tell them, uh, ideally, yeah, you should do that, but I cannot teach you that yet because I don't even know how to do it. I still have to learn that part. But uh, they just think, uh, put a moon wallet on your on your phone or use the Chivo wallet if you want to. That's the government wallet. You don't have to use it. It's convenient because it's very easy to go from dollars to Bitcoin and the other way around on Chivo. But yeah, I tell them start with Moon because it's a very easy wallet. It integrates uh, the Bitcoin network and the Lightning network. And it seems decently safe for small amounts to be stored there. I never heard of anybody having their Moon wallet account and uh, depleted. So I don't know. I'm not an expert on that. So <laughs> Cool. Um... Yeah, no, Moonwell, it's good. And, and when you talk about small amounts, uh, I, I won't say it doesn't matter, but, I mean, if you're talking about sort of spending money, um, you know, that's a lot different to putting your life savings into it, which uh, you probably shouldn't be doing on a mobile phone, mobile phone wallet anyway. Um, now, I saw on your Twitter feed something exciting. That's the adopting Bitcoin. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, so I have also learned recently about the adopting Bitcoin conference. and. Uh, my my first question about the conference is that, okay, what is the difference with the Bitcoin conference that was held in Miami a few months ago? And the key part of the adopting Bitcoin is that it will focus, from my understanding, on the Lightning Network and why that is important. And the, the Lightning Network is important because the people, the, the concern that people have about Bitcoin is that, oh, you cannot make payment with Bitcoin, Okay. But that is a thing of the past. Now, with the Lightning Network, it's actually pretty exciting to pay for people, even make very small transactions. So that's what the, the Bitcoin conference, uh, sorry, the Adopting Bitcoin conference will focus on from what I've been told. But of course, there's going to be a lot of uh, great content about Bitcoin. And there's going to be like 2,000 or 2,500 people coming to it. That's estimated. So it's kind of a lot of people coming to uh, to El Salvador during that period in November. So it might be a good time for everybody to, to visit El Salvador. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, I'll put it on my calendar, on my radar. Um, yeah, I, I I could keep on going on about El Salvadorian projects. And, and for those listening, I'll put all the details and links and stuff like that into, into the show notes. Um, well, is there anything else you want to talk about, El Salvador or Bitcoin or anything, Lightning? Uh, the only thing that I would uh, really beg people to do, people that understand how Bitcoin, uh, how important is Bitcoin, is that don't rest on your laurels. Like to make Bitcoin happen, we actually need to do our part. And any way that you can support the network and the adoption of Bitcoin can be either from teaching people, trying to orange peel your family and friends, uh, buying Bitcoin and putting putting it in a cold storage. Or if you're going to go even more advanced, start using the Lightning Network to get the circular economy of Bitcoin going. Because Bitcoin won't happen by itself. It feels like it, it's happening by itself, but actually it's uh, all the people on the grounds, making it happen one little step by one other little step. So that, that's the only thing that I would tell people. If you understand 
why Bitcoin is important and you understand how uh, dangerous are the times that we live in uh, right now in the world, uh, do your part. Whatever you can do for Bitcoin network and the adoption, please do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how exciting is it? I mean, we're talking about a country using Bitcoin as legal tender. We're talking about potentially other countries as well, having a look at this. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of countries are probably like, let's see and wait sort of thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's super exciting. And, and I never imagined that a country would be using Bitcoin as legal tender, even two, three years ago. So, um, mm. things are, things are happening fast. And as I said, there are good yeah. things happening. There are bad things happening. But as as Bitcoiners, um, you know, let's let's get prepared. And as you said, don't rest on your laurels and get yeah. our get our ducks. Um, moving to El Salvador, if people wanted to find out more information or, or even visiting, what what should they do? Oh, they can uh, reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Monedelix. They can follow my channel. Uh, same name, Money Delix, to learn uh, all things about El Salvador. And I'm always available to chat with anybody. Just shoot me a DM and I'm helping already a lot of people coming here with transportation, uh, mm. hotels, where to stay, where to go. So I'm getting busier and busier, but I'm trying my best to help uh, everybody. So yeah, reach out to me with any question. Maybe you could set up your own little travel agent there for expats coming to visit. And... It's not a bad idea. We, my wife and I think about that we are just busy right now but we definitely have uh, the marketing is set up for that yeah, <laughs> for sure absolutely <laughs> um have you got any other questions for us no sorry am i muted no uh no thank you very much francesco it's um yeah me and Gordon definitely have to visit our salvador it seems like most of the people we know are living there now <laughs> <laughs> interesting um no, I really appreciate your on-the-ground perspective. And, um, yeah, again, we'll shout out to uh, all our listeners. Please jump on Francesco's channel. It's, yeah, I found it very fun and informative. So thank you again for uh, for catching up with our audience. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It was fun. And I apologize for my English. <laughs> it's, uh, working okay. on it. <laughs> I'm trying. But, yeah, your English, English is better than, than my Italian. Italian. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So, <laughs> it's fun. No, th- so, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for watching or listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, and share so we can spread this educational content to others like yourself. Visit bitcoinbasics.help. Disclaimer. Any content provided by CoinCompass is for educational and informational purposes only and is not investment, legal, tax, or any other professional advice. A qualified professional should be consulted before making any financial decisions. CoinCompass will at times recommend certain products, services, and technologies, but these are opinions based upon our own or podcast guests' experience and not endorsements. We take no liability for out-of-date or inaccurate information, software bugs, manufacturing errors, technology misuse, or issues involving third parties. Visit CoinCompass.com for more information and please contact us.